Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm delighted to be joined today by JJ Bull, the Bullard. Hi, JJ. Yes. Did you have a lovely Christmas and New Year? No. No. Okay. Well, here also joining us is Jonathan Dog McKenzie. Hi, John. Hello. And how was your festive season? It was wonderful. Wonderful indeed, of course. Mine was too. Thanks for asking. Now, no Seb Stafford Bloor today. He's still recovering from six years of working at TIFO. (laughs) Uh, He's got two weeks off. And he'll be back uh, next week, I think, to join us. Very, uh, very exciting. But lots going on in the podcast today for us to discuss. Where else to start? But with Southampton mm, circling the relegation drain there. Very exciting. Uh, Manchester United, bit of a resurgence for them. A 100% victory since the restart. So we'll talk about that today. Uh, Chelsea, yes, in 10th place, facing the uh, reality of being a normal club. Very confusing, yes. And, of course, I'm just delaying time for Steve Hankey to write out slowly what's happening during the episode. And I can see that City and Holland, some different opinions about whether he should be in the team or not. No one says that. I don't know. That's not what we talk about. But we talk about Man City and, and Erling Holland and other things as well. I don't even care. It doesn't even matter. If you're listening to this podcast, then, uh, you know, you probably or have already listened to it before. Only a small percentage of people listening will be listening for the first time. And if that's you and you're new... and if you want to know what's in the podcast then just listen to it and you know what that wouldn't have had to have happened steve hangy if you were a better producer (laughs) but anyway i will leave you uh no 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 that's not what i do if you want to retain new people to watch your podcast with excellent (laughs) football information you can get a lot of it by reading The Athletic. <laughs> keep going. Keep and going. if you go to theathletic.com forward slash TIFO right mm-hmm. now, oh, baby, you can read all sorts of things. Like today I read David Ornstein's bit. Let's see what's at the top of my It had all things in it. Well, we've just announced oh, that Oh, David we Ornstein's are, Monday column. Fantastic. We've yeah. just announced that we are covering Spanish football to oh, a, yes. a more oh, greater yeah. degree. That's right. We've, uh, the Athletic has hired some incredible writers to cover Barcelona and Real Madrid. Mario Cortejana. Yeah, Mario Cortejana. Uh, Guillermo Rai. Yeah. 
Leia Cerveo Herrero. Yeah, Herrero. There we go. Perfect. That's some fantastic. And also uh, Paul Bias, who was covering Manchester Manchester region for us before. But there's a, a, a bunch of amazing pieces. If you're already an athletic subscriber, I should say, and you follow one of the, the Premier League teams, you can now expect the kind that kind of uh, depth of uh, of uh, coverage uh, for Barcelona and Real Madrid too, which is very very exciting. And here's a fun thing that's uh, top of my list: Manchester City, the chameleon team who are always one step ahead. We talk about that in today's episode. There we go. Okay, delightful. And of course, Dermot Corrigan, I should say, as well, mm. who's been a long time a La Liga correspondent for The Athletic, still around, doing his great stuff. Thank you, Dermot, for all of your service. But I will leave you now in the warm hands and the cool embrace of Espana. <laughs> <laughs> Is that fine? I'm delighted to say that we're joined first by Jacob Tanswell, with an N. I've been calling him Jacob Tanswell for months now. Very embarrassing for me. But Jacob, thanks for joining us. Hope you're well. I'm all good, thank you. Yeah, it's good. All good, unlike Southampton, who we're going to start the show by discussing. Southampton, terrible team, having a terrible time. Mm. (laughs) Isn't that as fair to say, isn't it? There's a few things we want to talk about today, but can you start me off by telling me why uh, their loss to Nottingham Forest was, was sort of so dispiriting? Do you know what? I was going to write that it was worse than the 2 9 nils, especially the first one against Leicester. I just thought maybe that's recency bias, maybe it's just my emotions. And a week on, I can safely say it was worse than the 9 nils because Southampton were just an absolute mess. They were booed at the end, but what was so disappointing was just how tactically shambolic they were. You know, Nottingham Forest was sitting deep towards the end. And Slampton's three centre-backs just kept pumping it forward. I think there were 75 long balls, according to Opto, which was just staggering. And Nathan Jones only changed shape twice, which by his levels and by his standards, that's not many. Because against Brighton, he changed shape five times. So, um, yeah, he didn't do much to change that. And the whole general performance was just was littered by mistakes and just, you know, a grave errors and that just spoke of a team that's probably going to get relegated as well. Wow, okay. Well, that's a pretty damning indictment. Also, <laughs> long ball's not necessarily something you would associate with a, with a Southampton team, but we'll come back and talk about Nathan Jones a little bit later. Um, Sport Republic, though, who are the owners of Southampton, took over about a year ago. Mm. What is their long-term plan? And does it include relegation? I don't think it includes relegation, no. Right. Um, they carried out a significant overhaul in players... At the, in the summer because they thought they could improve and build on it and you've, you've got to remember at this time last year Southampton had just beaten Brentford Rasmus Ankerson's old team and they were trying to get into the top 10 so this was in the plan and since then they've overhauled the existing squad they've got a, a lot of the old guard off the wage bill you know Jack Stevens is on loan Nathan Redmond's gone they've brought in these players and these 10 players who are, look quite good you know Romeo Lavia Armel Bella Kotchap Gavin Bazzoun who's only young but they haven't been supplemented by the experience. And the experienced players they have got aren't performing. I think you, if you look at James Ward-Prowse, poor old Ward-Prowse, he's just there trying to do everything. Mm-hmm. And the burden on, on him is is more than probably any other player in a middle into lower Premier League club at the moment. Yeah, OK. Uh, Rasmus Ankerson, John, remind us who he is, because I remember we made a, a video about this when the takeover happened about a year ago. Some people were quite excited about it. Took conversations about data, for example. Mm. Why was that? Yeah, Rasmus Ankerson is a Danish chap who played football for Michelin, I think, who are one of the big teams that everyone talks about in terms of the teams that have gone through the data revolution. Ended up at, at Brentford. Uh, I think he became the director of 
football or someone high up at Midland and came to Brentford to to be one of the co-directors there as well uh, and moved on to Southampton recently. So the the idea is, you know, bring in a guy who oversaw the the turnover of of Brentford, made Brentford the, the team that they are. But I guess for me, the interesting thing is that a lot of the times when these sorts of things happen, you take a club who are maybe further down the league pyramid, you're able to implement the the, the structures, uh, uh, the infrastructures that you want early on, and you're given the time then to to put things in place, move things along quite slowly. Whereas this is a very different kind of project, right? It's a, it's a club that has a new a new ownership, it has a new structure of of people who are making the decisions at the club, uh, and they've got to this point where they've they've just overhauled everything in a very short space of time. I know that Rasmus Ankerson is someone who does a lot of, um, I don't want to say motivational speaking, It's it's uh, he does a lot of uh, pr- presentations to big big corporations. Yeah, I was having a look at some of the things that he's done. He's, he's written a book and it's one of the chapters is, if it's not broken, have a think about maybe breaking it. Right. Which I think maybe changed my uh, opinion of, of, of what's going on at Southampton because that almost looks as though that's what they've done. They've sort of taken a model and they've said, right, the problem with this model is that we've sort of stagnated. We need to change things up. And, and, and that could be the, the catalyst for, I guess, a more positive change. Yeah. Um, and as, as Jacob's saying, what that's looked like is taking a style, a, a club that had a very specific style of football. They brought in Ralph Hasenhutl, who was obviously from the Red Bull stable, maybe not the most classic of Red Bull coaches, uh, but it, it did seem as though they wanted to bring in that style of play, like uh, really aggressive, intense, high pressing, so that you can almost gain the, gain the system, right? You can bring in players who are going to be overlooked in the market because they, they have intensity rather than maybe technical ability. Bring that in, see if it works in the Premier League. And I suppose the, the, the idea is that you, you're sort of able to run a, a club fairly cheaply in the Premier League, get benefits that you might not get from the um, the amount of money that you're spending and, and see how long you can go for and, and they went for a long yeah, time it worked. To be fair. yeah it, it did work and I think now the big question is right once you've reached that point and you've realized that the ceiling for that is you're going to be in a relegation battle every season but you'll probably survive mm. the, the the question is well how do we move on to the next step where we're not in that relegation battle every every season and it felt like to me in the summer that the dis- decision made was well let's try and move from this style of football to a more maybe a more possessional heavy style of football and to do that rather than bringing in players at the peak of their game who have all of these abilities start gambling on bringing players in who are younger uh, in academy systems namely the Manchester City academy right um and they kept on Hasenhutl, obviously, but the the idea, I think, was that he just changed up the way that he was playing. I mean, correct me if I'm I'm wrong, but, but would you agree with that? The idea was bring in Hasenhutl, see if he can play the this sort of style of play, and if not, move him on, bring someone else in. And one of the key things as well is that Hasenhutl started the season with a back three. I think they were clearly just got completely ground down by the amount of goals they were conceding, the easy goals, because when the press wouldn't work, which is around the winter time, they were getting played through every single time. And I think Salampton in the summer, they brought in Ruben Sellers, who's an assistant coach, who's quite pragmatic he focused a lot on structure defensive shape and they thought if we can go to a back three then we'll stop conceding it will be harder to beat and then we'll still sometimes press and then we'll be a generally more consistent more effective team because throughout Harsenetal's tenure they would go on great runs of form but then they would go on these horrendous horrendous runs of form and I think they tried to cut out that inconsistency but in cutting out that inconsistency you've lost all the high octane press you've lost all the entertainment and all the good parts of Southampton really. You talked about relegation there, which does seem sort of on the cards this season, given that Southampton are currently bottom of the table. 
Um, and it doesn't seem, you know, there's an obvious route out of them. Burnley, though, are an example of a team that have been relegated and doing rather well this season. And, and, and you just sort of suggested last week in conversation, John, that maybe it's a good opportunity for a reset. Jacob, with Southampton, do you think that is a possibility or would it be very bad? Uh, you know, like it's more like an Everton sort of situation if they were to be relegated. I think it's a good point, but the only caveat to say is that the reset actually happened in the summer. They signed 10 players, they let go of 12. If they wanted the reset then, they did have wanted it in the championship. Mm. And their whole model is basically buy to eventually sell on. And they know that the only way they're going to be sustainable is through selling the likes of Romeo Lavia, through Armel Bellacoch. And if they go down, they'll get good money, but they're not going to get anywhere near the amount they would get if they were still in the Premier League. OK, fine. Um, let's talk about Nathan Jones then. John, what do you think so far? Four games? Yeah, well, the the impression I'm getting from Southampton fans is that it's very hard to tell exactly what his, his style of play is. And I think I've heard you, Jacob, saying that whenever you've pushed him on this, he, he sort of talks about flexibility being his... His, his like predominant characteristic, which again, like when you're working in a team where everything's going wrong, working uh, going right, sorry, working in a club where everything's work, working out for you, and you have the ability to be flexible. Obviously, it's a really powerful upside to have. And I mean, that, is this not the 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 lesson we've learned from Graham Potter? Right, he he coached Brighton to a point where his team were were supremely flexible in different phases of play. He's gone into Chelsea, and his players don't have the ability to move between those those sorts of systems as he wants them to and it and it's not been working out for him so I, I think this is the this this is the the difficulty with these sorts of managers is that you have to accept that when you bring them in if there is going to be an upside it's going to be a, a fairly long and painful upside which I just don't think Southampton can afford right now they 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 have to get someone in who's just going to be able to immediately change things around and get them to a point where they're able to you know start getting points on the board so yeah I think that's the the, the problem that has arisen here. Well, the other thing with Southampton is that if you have any team and you bring in loads of new players, why is that noise? It's like a bumblebee driving a train. (laughs) (laughs) For listeners, we're in a new studio today, and so we're hearing all new noises. Do you know how when you move into a new house and you go to bed late at night and then the house sort of moves and you wonder how many ghosts there are? It's a bit like that. I was thinking we should probably apply that same thinking where if something's not broken, you should break it. Yeah. (laughs) I would have done all sorts of things. That's why I burned my house down last night. Maybe it'd be bigger when I get back home. Uh, anyway, speaking of burning down the house, right? So Southampton's got all new players. So it, like Arsene Wenger always talked about three or four like key players is about all you can really change because it takes a while for them to gel. And you see that all the time. Now, if you get if you're at the bottom end of the, of the Premier League, and then you uh, sign all these new players and they don't gel enough, you, you lose your momentum, you lose confidence. So you then it's very hard to try and drive any sort of momentum and cohesion to get these high pressing teams working. I think you see it with Liverpool just now, like totally devoid of confidence, so it doesn't work all of a sudden. And it's got to be cohesive and have all the chemistry, all the little bits and pieces working. Like in Breaking Bad, when he's he's making that... Um, what is he making? What was it? Not crack. Uh, meth. meth. Meth, right? Meth, yeah. <laughs> he makes it to like 99% uh, purity. Or something, whereas other sure. people are like 97. And that's fine. But what you need is 99 to make it work because otherwise you lose 1-0 to Crystal Palace. Yeah. Right? <coughs> Excuse me. So <laughs> they've got that going on for a start. Then you put in a manager who, um, I don't know enough about uh, Nathan Jones, I was about to call him Luton Jones, that's a good name for someone. <laughs> right, so Luton Jones comes in, and I don't know exactly what all his bits and pieces are, but I haven't watched some Southampton, it looks like, uh, like you talked about in your articles, um, about long balls, lots of long balls. It reminds me a lot of watching um, Aberdeen under uh, Derek McInnes a long time ago, when, yeah. when they were a decent team, but not really, had players uh, who should be able to beat teams worse than them, but aren't actually that good. Yeah. And he would always hit long balls, it's like straightforward and try and chase it up with a second ball. It makes it look loose all the time. 
And eventually you start to like, what's he doing? And then the players lose confidence and then the whole thing starts to fall apart and you mm. look rubbish. And it looks a bit like that already after about four games. And the idea being, when you get the ball forward quickly, these long balls, you chase it up. Why would you mess around passing out the back if you're not great at it? Mm-hmm. You can just get forward, chase it up. It works sometimes and you get the energy. But then if it doesn't work for like two games in a row when you join a club... You start going, well, this is rubbish. Yeah. Lose confidence, players don't believe in it. And then you've got the players who aren't gelled, cohesive, in that brand new team squad, don't really care about it because they've only just joined with the manager trying to figure out who they are. Like Jones has played by the looks of things about four or five different shapes in his games so far. I think he's changed a lot more than that. I think I counted nine in the first three. Is that right? Yeah. Just for starting lineups and looking at it. And he's oh, like, yeah, yeah, like four, two, yeah. three, like four, three, one kind of generic. Then if you want to play like, so Hassan Hull always played with that. F- uh, 4 4 2 or 4 2 2 2, but you play through the middle, then your width comes from fullbacks, then that leaves you exposed at the back if it gets turned over. So then the defensive midfielders weren't really covering those wide spaces either. So you put change to back three, you get better coverage at the back, and you've got your width coming from, from wing backs, but that's all your width comes from the wing backs rather than the forward players. So then they've got this mismatched sort of squad of players that I don't think Southampton are very good players really. Mm. So you expect them to be at the bottom end of the team, uh, the team of the league, and uh, yeah, it's basically burn it down. <laughs> yeah, I saw you nodding a lot not specifically at the burn it down bit there, too, but I saw you nodding as uh, JJ was talking do you agree with him? yeah I do and it, what's so staggering to me is that Sport Republic Rasmus talks about alignment alignment like most Premier League clubs is, is the buzzword at the moment and I went to see the B team on Friday and they were still playing 4-2-2-2 the same as Ralph uh, because that's a team of Bs <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah. and you know, the two number 10s into the red zone You know, even the coach was showing everything that Ralph would be and they're going to make try and make the step up into Joneses, yeah. who ultimately he wants to play a three-five-two. He wants five centre backs in by the end of this window, and he doesn't want to play out from the back because Southampton's centre backs aren't, apart from Saleta Sart, aren't very good at breaking the lines with their passes. They want to play long. The issue is when you do play long, you've got Shea Adams up top, who's quite good for his height considering he's five and nine, winning those balls. But they haven't got the energy in behind him now. You know, Stuart Armstrong, Mohamed Ali Yunus, who's been there for a long, long time. They're getting on a little bit. And I don't feel they've still got the same vigour they used to have. You know, the, yeah. the, the two number tens that time, you know, they were quite new, quite enterprising. You know, they you would, especially the top six teams, they would trouble them because they would have a lot of energy. They would press, they would counter press really well. But it just feels like everything's off, just a little bit off at the moment. You know, that happened probably towards the end of Harsnitz's reign, but it's happening now. I think the, the press is just a little bit off, and so when they do try and press, you know, sporadically now, it's not quite working. And that, that sort of counter-press idea, like, I think that it's very hard to make that work at Premier League level unless you have amazing players. Yeah. Like, watching back City versus uh, Chelsea from, was it the FA Cup yesterday? Wasn't mm-hmm. it? We're filming this yeah. on Monday, just so you know. Like, watching that back, like, City's press was really funny because Chelsea could hardly get out. It was so aggressive, so high up the pitch and so well-coordinated with amazing players who both understand what they've been coached to do. They also know exactly where to go and what makes sense because great footballers have that innate thing. But Chelsea were able to get out of it a couple of times because they have amazing players who mm. are able to pass their way with short bits and pieces. Now, I think Southampton don't have the players who are good enough to be able to pass their way out of a really high press. So get rid of that if you're playing against a team who presses well. And a lot of teams press really high. It's a really sensible way to create chances or win the ball back further away from your own goal. That's so, like uh, uh, mine and John's Rocket League tactics. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, well, that we're not sense. good enough to play out from the back, so we <laughs> yeet it long. And then sometimes we get on the end of it and score a goal. Well, this is what... I mean, I watch teams do this constantly in Scotland. This is what a lot of them have to do, because they don't have the technical ability to play out from the back. Yeah. But they also don't have to play against teams who are technically good at pressing, because no one seems to be able to coach that very well in Scotland. Celtic aside, maybe Rangers for a bit. I don't think even they're that good at it. Celtic's really good at it. Mm. You just bypass that 
20, 30 second phase of play where you build slowly backwards around your goalkeeper until he launches it anyway. Just yeah. get it forward from the start, go forward. But at Premier League level, everyone's. Remember when Guardiola came in and they were struggling with second balls? Mm. He said that's what they focused loads of time on. Like all managers will have done that. All they have all these coaches who are younger come through and have heard that. And then you put the ball, you shell the ball to uh, Shea Adams. And then he tries to take it down, but you've got players who will have the timing ready to go. Then as soon as the ball comes towards him, snap, you go in, win the ball, and then yeah. you've got it back, and he won't be able to play with it. It's a really good point, though. We had a conversation, John and I, with a friend of ours the other day about... Um, it was after the Arsenal-Newcastle game. We were talking about differing responses to time-wasting. And uh, our friend loves time-wasting, says it's one of the best things in the sport. I said, why? He said, because it's a great leveller. It means that teams who don't have as good players... Have a have a chance against teams that do, and you underestimate. But when you hoof it long, put the ball in the air, push people around, suddenly it does level out the playing field a little bit. Because the ball's not on the ground, so you don't yeah. have to worry about your technical issues, and you yeah. just get big hoofers up the top. You get a couple of fridge <laughs> freezers up there, get the ball in, and you just yeah, like it works. Like yeah. Aberdeen managed to make it work for ages. I asked Eric McInnes like why he does that. And I was quite nervous asking the question because I knew he'd bite back. Like when you ask managers certain questions, it was a one-on-one situation, like in a nice little room. So it's not like in a uh, press conference where you can maybe hide in the crowd or whatever. <laughs> but like sitting next to him, I said, okay, I'll just ask, I'll ask a question. Why is it? So it seems sometimes, this is the question I asked him, I said, uh, it seems sometimes when you're watching the games back, you get quite annoyed when your players launch it from the back towards the forwards. And I, I don't think for a second that's what you're trying to make them do all the time. But why is it like, are you annoyed when they do that? Or are you trying to get them to put the ball forward? And he responds with a bit of a bite and said that people ask him all the time, we're always hitting long balls. We're not hitting long balls. We're putting the ball where the space is. <laughs> and I'm like, eh, it kind of makes sense what you're saying, but... I don't want to push you on this because I'm not going to be able to leave the room sure. happy. I just want them to like me. I guess the difference between where the space is and hitting a long ball is if the ball actually goes to the space. The ball at goes which space, point, like, yeah. the manager can't be held responsible if the players can't kick it to the right place. I just, I think, I just disagree with that fundamentally because I want to control the ball. I want to keep it. But I, I see the limitations. sort of character, isn't he? Yeah, I need yeah. control of everything. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, before we let you go, Jacob... From the no, company? From the company, yeah. <laughs> it's hard. Before I, I, I like what you said here. I thought he was good too, but the, listen, the decision's out of my hands. <laughs> there are a couple of other teams down there or thereabouts. We've got Wolves in 19th currently on uh, 14 points, just two ahead of Southampton. Everton, Everton, Everton on 15. Everton, yeah, they're good. West Ham on 15. Bournemouth on 16. Nottingham Forest 17. Um, I mean, Leicester and Leeds also on 17 as well. So, you know, you, you're within five points of 13th if you're a Southampton fan. Can you think of three teams out of that six that might be worse over the next, what, four, four or five months in Southampton? Because, I mean, that's where we are now, isn't it? It's a who, if, if, not, if not them, then who? I'll be honest, I'm struggling. I think I've seen Bournemouth a little bit in the last couple of weeks, and they seem sort of they're blowing up at the moment. They similarly like to Southampton, they don't really have a system or a defined style of play. And just sorry, just to touch on a direct style of play, mm. it was in August when Southampton thought to themselves, hold on, we've got a keeper that can kick really long. And we've got Shadams, who's half decent at holding it up. Why don't we just hoof it all the time? Mm. And now they won 2 1 that day, and since then they've really just used it all the time. And yeah. all the coaches were just completely taken by the Gavin Bazunu's kicking range. So that's how Slam to play. And I think similarly with Bournemouth, they haven't really got a system, so I think they're probably vulnerable. Okay. And Everton, of course, they can blow a gasket, can't they? Sure. Of course, with Everton, I suppose there's always the manager situation, which may. You know, potentially change it at some point between now and the end of the season. We don't know. I think Forrest will fall into that. You think Forrest? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think the, inter- players at once. the interesting thing is is that Southampton are only three points off getting out of the relegation zone, right? Yeah. Which is probably why they wouldn't be too scared of just pulling 
the plug on Nathan Jones, right? No. You, you kind of feel as though when it comes down to probably two or three wins and you're and you're comfortable in this division um, early on, is it worth taking the risk? I think. Well, probably indeed. Oh, they've got to break Nathan Jones. Not working. Break all their bones. And then, yeah. uh, as uh, people online keep reminding us all, we are not halfway through the season yet. We're only <laughs> one 17 and 18 yeah. games played. One more until we get there. So there's still time. And a run of two or three uh, victories, of course, can see you all the way to glory. Let's take a break now. And when we come back, Jacob Tanswell will have magically disappeared. All right, Liverpool fans, we've got some news. The Athletic's dedicated Liverpool podcast has been given a lick of paint and it's coming back bigger and better than ever in 2023. It's still twice a week and still your go-to place for transfer news, analysis and opinion from the Athletic's esteemed football writers. But the first big change is me, Tony Evans, as your host. I'm the former football editor of the Times of London and I've been on the Mersey beat for years. You'll never walk alone as part of Anfield folklore and we want a new name that truly resonates with Liverpool, the fans, the history, the essence of the club. So that's why we went for Walk On. Join us twice a week through the winds and the rain as Jürgen Klopp's Reds aim to save their season and maybe even sign a bleeding midfielder in January. Simply search for Walk On on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Come on, have a listen. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, we're back from the break now. We're back from the break. That was a break. It was a lovely break. Had a nice time. Did you enjoy that break, John? I enjoy all of the breaks I get to spend with you, Jim. Well, that's very nice of you to say so. Now, listen, let's talk about Manchester United now. Uh, various different points of topic here. Uh, because, of course, they have a 100% winning rate since the restarts. Yes, yeah, very impressive. And uh, But as John, you point out relatively easy run of fixtures there, games you'd be expecting them to win. We can talk about that now. Yes. Yes. They are games they would be expected to win, but mm. I think we talked about this with Arsenal at the beginning of the season, right, which was everyone was saying, well, how good are Arsenal? They've only beaten teams that you'd expect them to, to, to win against, but yeah. you have to think about it in terms of the aggregate, right? You would expect them to win most of these games most of the time, but to win all of them is, is getting towards impressive, but... Mm. Yeah, they, Man United have 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 moved around, moved around, turned a corner, turned a corner. We'll go. Yeah, with they've that moved one. around a corner. They've moved around a corner. Yeah. Um, is that is that a good thing? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they've turned a, they've certainly turned a corner from the beginning of the season, right, where they were um, losing to teams that they should have been winning against. Yes, they're now 
at that level of stability where you can start saying, right, where do we find the problems to fix? Where are the profiles that we need to make this team better? And yeah. obviously in January, they will do some of that stuff. Uh, but in the summer, they've they've now, under Eric Ten Hag, I think, got a solid basis from which to start improving. And that's that's the first hurdle for any manager at these sorts of clubs to get over, and he's done really well on that. Absolutely. They are Ten Hagian now, mm. I believe. And uh, one uh, key element of the Ten Hagian nature, do you think that's going to catch us like a Game of Thrones thing, doesn't it? Ten Hagians rode the dragons in old Valyria. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like he could live on a, one of the, the realms. Yes, in God of War. A, a God of one of the nine realms of God of War. Are they not called realms in... Uh, what is it called? Lord of the Thrones. Game of Thrones. <laughs> Lord Thrones of the, Thrones. Of the Thrones. Thrones. I of the even know these things. I'm just obviously so ill. Yeah. Well, anyway, listen, one of my points here was that uh, what, one of the things making them uh, such a Ten Hagian team is... <laughs> this uh, has to stop, Joe. <laughs> it's the purchase of uh, Casemiro. Casemiro, uh, who's been... Um, Casemiro. Very, very impressive for them, hasn't he? Uh, yeah, I mean, we sort of thought he might be because he's part of one of the greatest teams of all time that won the Champions League what is it about 25 times I think 34 34 times yeah so we had a bit of a suspicion he might be good I've always really liked watching Casemiro but um, what I think is interesting what he's doing at Man United is it is different to what he did at Real Madrid uh, which is natural because you, I think there's a bit I did a video on Tifo IRL about the importance of what he does and it's not just defending deep making all interceptions there but he helps fill in the gaps everywhere else up higher up the pitch which is like talking about the things we talked about Southampton and trying to stop people early on he's really important for that because United can press well uh, they're getting better at it now but then you've got Casemiro that just fills in the blanks and um, Eric Ten Hag Carl Anker told me this said that Ten Hag says he was the cement between the stones and I think that's, it's a really nice phrase because it kind of explains what I think he does he's just always there um, in the right gaps to stop things and often he doesn't actually touch the ball but he affects play by being in a position that stops someone running into that position or playing mm. a pass through that position and I think it's important when you play five a side like the shape's the most important thing for me when you so you just like constantly move position no one's playing striker no one's playing defender you just constantly move all the time it's interesting you say that because of course uh, uh, it's a good opportunity for me to plug the a video football. that we released yeah. over Christmas which is a video about walking football uh, where uh, we went to go and play against my uncle's walking football team, Uncle Mick and Uncle Damien, old rascals as they are, in Harlow, Essex. Interestingly, of course, there are five, six players in a, in a walking football team. You said yeah. shape, uh, the position is less important, but I remember that you did regularly shout at me for not being in the right place. Uh, yeah, well, the thing is, you can, you should be multi-positional during these five-a-side games. Yeah. But you want me to be multi-positional. Yes, so yeah. I think everyone has to play that. Like, basically, you need... Uh, how do I describe this? I think you should always play when you've got five five players in the team. Yeah. The way actually six. I've learned it doing coaching football. badges was that you should have basically you want a diamond because the diamond squishes up and becomes different shapes. You've got one in defence, but actually it's three. Yeah. But also it can be two. It's, it's always moving, but it relies on the players understanding how that works at the time. And I'm not saying that anyone else in our walking football team wouldn't have been clued up on that straight away or right. understood the, the intricacies of what I wanted to be able to do. Yeah. But it's why I like to just stand in the places that people aren't during five or six games. That's why you're directing me here. It yeah. seems yeah. that way, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, that's what I like doing. I like standing. Like we play five or six sometimes, John. We do. Fun. It's yeah. good. Yeah, I, I enjoy would. playing. I really have enjoy we, playing. Have we decided? Have we agreed upon who's the better footballer between the I two? I think we're you different know. footballers. Different footballers. I do different things. John does lots on the ball. You're a lot off it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I do a lot off it as well. Also <laughs> off the pitch. <laughs> off the pitch. Yeah. This is the way the modern football is going, right? Is it's if you start off just assuming you have eleven players, you do things yeah you're you're obviously you get a certain amount of upside but if you can make it so that you're 
adding players in attack, so you're trying to get overloads in attack, or having players who are going to add to the defence as well, you're almost tricking the system into having more players in different phases. So, for example, pressing is a really good, good example of that, right? One of the things we see when teams press at the moment is they try and split the pitch in half, force everyone to one side, because what you can then do is you can you can go player for player on players on one side and ignore players on the other. Yeah. So you're generating a situation where you're actually playing almost like a man-to-man system without having all the players being marked man-to-man. So it's everything in football is going that way, I think. To How do you work the system so that you get advantages in, in attack and defence, which make it seem like you've got more players than you actually have? Yeah, very interesting. And also uh, just uh, on uh, Casemiro, oh, so you've got a bit... I, I was going to say, I'm so sorry, just smiling. He's, yeah, um, giggling away over I'm there. Giggling away at watching the plan, watching Steve Hankey come up with an, uh, such a lovely little uh, segue for me. <laughs> Passively, aggressively typing it in the plan there. He says, speaking of attacking players... Yeah, that's his segue there. That's actually not what I wrote, though, is it? He, hmm? That's not what I wrote. Well, it's pretty much, isn't it? In <laughs> essence, what you wrote, Steve Hankey. Uh, he says, uh, speaking of adding players in attack, yes. Uh, will Man United do that in this window? Uh, let's say, if you want to hear more about JJ Bull on Casemiro, you should watch that video on TIFO IRL. And, of course, watch the Walking Football video, too. Uh, but speaking of strikers, yeah? Strikers? We weren't speaking of them. No. Um, Links to Val Weghorst. Val Weghorst, fame, of course, from the World Cup for that uh, fantastic uh, free kick routine, one of my favourites during the World Cup. He's been linked to, to Manchester United, which is a surprise to some, less of a surprise to others, I suppose. Uh, what's going on there? Well, he's a Burnley player who's been loaned at Persiktas. Yeah. And now Manchester United want him. There's a lot of uh, noise that uh, Vincent Abubakar, who's been... Is he let go from the, let go from the club Saudi that team? Ronaldo's just joined. Yeah, has that actually right. happened? El Nasser? Yeah, I believe yeah. so. So it might be that he ends up going to Besiktas and then Veghorst comes to be a number nine, bit of an all. He's like a complete, I'd say like a complete four. He's a target man, but he's also, he can do other bits. Six foot six, isn't he? He's a big tall lad. He's good. His positioning's quite good. Off the ball positioning's quite good at getting into places to score. Yeah. He can hold the ball up, which is important. He can drop in. He's probably like a, just a fridge freezer version of Tadic a little bit. He can right. drop in, maybe he's... Maybe I think John will probably know more about him than I well, do. A, a short-term Tadic, 30 years old, 10 goals and 21 appearances in all competitions on loan at Besiktas so far this season. I mean, he seems like a sort of Ten Hagian player. I can, see, I can hear them laughing through there. They're just goading you on. They like I will it. not put up with this. Um, but yeah, we, we've just put out a, an IRL video for sensible transfers for Manchester United. And we talked about how Manchester United under Ten Hag will want a, a fairly classic number nine, right? We talked about three different things that, that Ten Hag would be looking for from his yeah. number nine. He's going to look for a box presence, so someone who is going to be able to get, get goals, is going to be able to offer something if teams are sitting in a, in a lowish block, so you, yeah. can, uh, you can find him and you can score in those situations as well. He gives you presence one. from a box as well. He wants, yeah, presence from inside of the box. That's yes. number one. Long walks on the beach. <laughs> that's no, right yeah dreamy bit. dreamy candlelit dinners yeah. um and and also he, he, they want a, a nine who's going to pin defenses and when we say pin defenses it's you know you're you're and that's why i think you should vote for me <laughs> like you've got your thumb hand yeah I mean, no you put pins in them. yeah pins in go on then go on then. yeah p- pinning pinning defenses don't back, allow so. our repeated interruptions to stop you from get, making the point that you were because it sounded actually it sounded like a good point and the narrative inside of my head is going stop talking and let him make the good point we done, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we're done. Um, pinning defences, just the, the I can't wait the to hear idea what you're that you're going to say. <laughs> I can't wait. What is it you're going to say? Three point. What was the first one again? Let's start again. See, we, do the, we do this no, when, when we are gaming together. I do this to you, and I you know, get really annoyed. Sorry. But that's in a private situation. A private we're scenario. now in the full view of the so public. Box presence was the first one. Box presence. Number two was. Put pins in people. Putting pins in people. Pinning defences. So essentially, making sure that you've got someone on the the line of the defence 
creating space in front of the defense by forcing the the defense back with pins with pins yeah um that that he will also be doing that right so he's, he will he will be able to generate well, space well, for, we, we just say we don't know whether he's actually joining or not yeah yeah sure ericsson and fernandez obviously really creative players so if he can create space around the edge of the box put by pulling the, the defense back that's mm. going to be a, a good thing and the other thing is hold up play that jj's already mentioned yeah um eric ten Hag wants that eric ten Hag became famous for that team which had tadic as a false nine but actually all the way through that eredivisie season he was using like Klaasian Huntelaar um, mm. as, a, as a more traditional nine. Other players as well. I think they had Kasper Dolberg as well. And then obviously the second iteration of that team had Sebastian Allaire in, who's again another sort of Val Weghorst type player. West Ham legend. So, yeah, and um, we're, we're, I think we're going to talk about Anthony a little bit, but it, yes. when Anthony was at Ajax with Sebastian Allaire, he would cut inside onto his left foot, cross the ball to the back post, and Sebastian Allaire would score. Yeah. Um, with, like, e- with extra space in order to do so, presumably because Allaire had pushed the, the backwards line further back. Sure, he's also just a big boy. So, big um, nice. yeah, yeah, I think if, if he does join, we'll see Val Vegor scoring a lot of back post headers from Anthony Crosses. Okay. Well, so. well, I do want to talk about Anthony. Before we do that, though, some great throwback names that Steve has left here in the plan for us. From the uh, current Turkish Super League goal-scoring charts this season, as a side note, top goal scorer in the uh, Turkish Super League goal-scoring charts as a side note right now. And a Valencia, of course, who, if he hadn't been injured during the World Cup, may, may indeed have continued that fine scoring run. Other names we have here, Fabio Barini. Remember Fabio Barini yeah. of Liverpool fame? Yeah. It's like the game, isn't it? It's Hadji Wright, the second mm-hmm. scorer. Is he the guy who came up for the US and scored that really r- random goal where it bounced off his leg and went over the goalkeeper? Don't know. I didn't read his name because I didn't know who he was. Didn't if only we had a producer stupid. who could tell us if that was true or not. Mm. If only. Now, five <laughs> minutes later, we'll come back and <laughs> let you know when Steve's finally managed to Google that. Uh, other, other names we have here Vout Veghorst of course Michi Batshuayi and Bafatimbi Gomez yeah. I like Bafatimbi Gomez yeah. a fantastic player isn't he there of course a lot of problems for Manchester United back in the day didn't he very much mm. so well there we go wasn't that fun now listen let's talk about Anthony quickly because there appears to be a lot of um, dialogue let's say regarding <laughs> discourse. Uh, discourse regarding Anthony Tenhagian discourse Tenhagian discourse well no anti-Tenhagian discourse it would appear it seems as though Anthony very, uh, very one-footed player has um, earned a kind of a reputation as a bit of an easy hit for people uh, just to say he's rubbish because uh, he can only play with one foot now as a left-handed person myself someone very aware of uh, how <laughs> very one <one-handed>. uh, very <laughs> very one-handed you can be you're actually quite ambidextrous aren't you uh, only when I no <laughs> no I'm not no um, good lord um what did I say? <laughs> wow, you've really broken yourself with that really one. Broke myself. Oh, Anthony's all right. Was, he wasn't. We were in harmony there. Did you hear that? Oh, were we? Yeah, that was. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> Anthony scored a goal with his right foot. So. He scored a goal with his right foot. Point I'm making, right, is that um, that most of the discourse around Anthony so far seems to be he's shit. He can only play with one foot. <laughs> Having said that, right, he's played something like ten games. He scored four goals or five now. Is it mostly with that one foot? Mostly doing the same thing that people don't really seem to be able to stop as easily. Given that I think I know why it is where people don't like him. But also, before I do want to hear it, but also, uh, he played for Ten Hag before. He seems to do an awful lot off the ball that isn't referenced at all in these conversations about what, what why people don't like him. Uh, but what is it? What is it? You th- what is it? You think the issue is because when he gets the ball wide, you're excited because it's a winger, and it's not because it's Man United, and you think Ryan Giggs is going to run past everyone. But it's um, he gets the ball wide on the wing. He can't go past people. He doesn't really have that like 
pure speed to do it. Mm. And uh, he's playing against defenders who are all really good 1v1. So you just can't really dribble past. So you have to go backwards. So it looks like you've got no creativity or ideas or whatever. But there's loads of examples when Anthony... There's a... I'm trying to think what it was. It was when I was doing the Macasamiro research. There's like a little spell of play that I think shows how well Anthony plays in that uh, in that team and how he just moves into positions where he needs to be, like fill in the gaps that you're meant to in the Ten Hagian system. Mm. But he t- receives the ball and the, the half turn is back to well, not the, not half turn was back to goal, but knows exactly what's behind him. Spins between two players, which then allows him to put a ball through for Fernandez and a run from out to in, which gets a chance on goal, which United wouldn't be able to do with the players they previously had there. What they start doing as well is getting Bruno Fernandes, I'm going to try to, try to say his name properly, mm-hmm. where he goes out wide to the right. So you get two different angles of crossing. You've got the uh, like the two curves, two different curves. Um, easier to describe this as you're watching it on the, the, the podcast version on YouTube. You've just drawn curves it. with your fingers. Yeah, and you can't yeah. hear that. But if I do it more... No. Maybe, if you do it more vigorously, yeah, it maybe it'll work. Yeah. But that, maybe that's another thing as well. You get different angles to get the ball in it. But he's a decent player. He just can't... Not every player can score twenty five goals a season. Not every player. No. Like if he if he's re- if his return this season is like eight goals and seven assists, that's pr- quite good. Which it's is expensive. It for seems it, like but. it might be though. I mean, also, uh, John, it's not just what a player does on the ball, right? Like Ten Hag clearly wants to play in a certain way and uh, seemingly believes that Anthony offers something to that. Uh, the players already at Manchester United don't. What, what do you think that would be if it's not just cutting inside and shooting with the left foot? Yeah, I mean, one of the the biggest impacts I think Eric Ten Hag has had has been able to implement is being able to implement a form of pressing, um, which has improved them in games where they might not usually have as much control. Um, so now Manchester United are much better at pressing in the final third. It means against teams who maybe would cause them a lot of problems if they ended up just being forced further and further back. Um, they're they're able to stop that. And Anthony is really important to their forward press. Anthony is is very good at uh, in those situations that I like to describe as like hybrid pressing when you've got a player who's going to go man for man on different players in, in different um, scenarios. So if the ball's on one side of the field, he'll be responsible for one player. If the ball's on the other side, he is responsible for the other. And he has to almost sit between those two players and read which player to go to in, in any um, given moment. Yeah. Manchester United don't have anyone else who... Can can read the play quite so well at this point. Well, it's, it's 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 a job that isn't entrusted to any other player currently. Sure, that, I think they could use like uh, Alanga is is fairly good. But the, the thing with Anthony is he's worked with Eric Ten Hag for for a number of seasons now, right? So you're not only going to bring in a player who you know what their upside is going to be in possession, but he is also a player who understands those sorts of hybrid systems so that. Ten Hag can bring him in. He was excellent, for example, in both the the Spurs and Chelsea games, which a lot of people saw as being a really big turning point for for the Eric Ten Hag system as well. So mm. I think that yeah, he's he's one of the probably one of the best wingers in terms of out of possession stuff in the league as well. People aren't going to focus on that as much because people don't focus on the out of possession stuff as much. Yeah. But I think that's been a really important aspect to to the way that they they play. It's good to hear that, though, because whilst I don't seek to only defend Anthony, I don't really care about that. What I do care about is when all of a sudden it seems like everyone is allowed to just go, oh, we can only shoot with one foot and therefore he's shit, which just seems like uh, too easy a hit for for me to want to allow people to get away. We said it early. We said it early. Yeah, now we've moved on to a new thing. I think it's worth saying as well that wing dynamics are an important aspect of of what wingers can do. Mm. Um, And we've talked a lot about how Diego Dalot is playing a, a a fairly, I said Dalot, and you're going to be like, mm, it's Dalot, isn't it? Yeah, I didn't Dalot. say anything. You looked at me, though, with those judgmental I just, eyes. I live inside Diego your head. Diego Dalot um, 
has been playing a really interesting role in that in that team. He likes to invert. He likes to attack very centrally. There's almost mm. times where he looks like he's playing a ten position, and I think that is a downside to Anthony's game because I think. As JJ said, yeah, if you get him 1v1 isolated against fullbacks, he's, it, it, he doesn't look as dangerous as he could do. But as soon as you start getting players around him, it, it then becomes a lot easier for him to get in, to hit the bylines behind, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think that there's there's definitely something going on with the players around him at the moment. They're not getting those players around him and, and they're not seeing that upside from him. Mm. But when they sign Sancho for loads of money, mm. he just doesn't, just doesn't get in the team. I remember that, yeah. Yeah. I do remember that. He's meant to be in that position, isn't he? But I'm curious to see what happens with that over the next sort of year or two. You know, I feel like that's the that is uh, with with the team doing well, with lots of the players doing well, with, with Rashford's red hot form at the moment. Casemiro, as you mentioned, uh, what, what are you like? Because I said red hot. <laughs> yeah, we didn't say it in your like Joe Divine voice. You did it like a normal bit. It, do you know what it's being? It'd be like if I said uh, like, oh, it's an eye watering amount they paid for Jaden Sancho, isn't it? It's being in front of this uh, big podcast microphone in a in a podcast studio it makes me go with their red hot form at the moment. <laughs> it's interesting to see what will happen with uh, the Jaden Sancho story over the next year. Now, listen, uh, <laughs> let's read. Now, Steve's uh, one of another one of Steve's. Uh, um, no, he's um, got the right and had you right answer. Let's oh, the had you right answer. Yeah. yeah, that was only uh, ten minutes, wasn't it? How, how long? How long? Yeah, what, what? yeah, about that. About mm-hmm. that. You know, it's a, it's a slow computer and really heavy keys on my on my. Notes, <laughs> I think. Well, listen, so. you, you might even need to remind people what we were talking about, given how long ago it was. So, do you want to do that now? Yeah, yeah. So the question was, had you right? Was he the American who scored the uh, unusual goal for the USA against the Netherlands in the World Cup? Yes. Do you well, know what's there we go. a funny thing is calling a laptop a computer? Yeah, I do that. Because like, a computer is like a... Well, no, that's a desktop. No, you mean like a computer is like a thing you get in a room that you go into. No, no. The you computer. Are, it's either on the <laughs> desktop or it's on the lap top. Yeah. Do you yeah. know what I like? I like when people refer to computers as supercomputers. Yeah, I like that too. Like yeah. Opta, is it Opta or is it 538? One of the big predictive and they're like oh supercomputer thinks this <laughs> like, it's just a computer isn't it you're so my normal supercomputer sh- shall yeah. I do and you're always glitching speaking of supercomputers for the next answer you ask me shall I get chat GPT to write my answer yeah that's, that's a good idea <laughs> let's try that now listen uh, here's a here's a Steve's segue uh, I'll read it just as it's written from one team who might be getting a striker that would have worked if we hadn't talked about the how you write thing he's a striker to be fair Hadji Wright is a striker, and the USA might be getting him. Uh, from one team who might be getting a striker, again, it doesn't work, to another who might be better without the best striker in the world, ellipsis. But also Chelsea before that ellipsis. I have confused myself. That's what Steve said. Final ellipsis. Before all of that ellipsis. A break <laughs> ellipsis. <laughs> That's this quality work right there. Wow. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight? Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yes, returning from a break now. Uh, it was a lovely break, wasn't it? Chelsea, a tenth, uh, JJ. Some would call that a surprise. Yes, well, I think they need to break it first. Right, and before they, they can fix it. And again. they're doing quite a good job of it, so maybe that was the thing. It does seem like that terrible form, uh, been knocked out of both domestic cups by yeah. Manchester City. Of course, they just Chelsea just lost two games in a row in three days to Manchester City, one of the Premier League. Oh, no, was it one of the League Cup and then one of the FA Cup? All it in was in the, in the Premier League and then the FA Cup in close succession. Yeah. And there's a real thing with, with Graham Potter. So when you take over as a manager at a new um, club... I don't think it matters who you are. I think you, ha- and this sounds so stupid, but you have to win the first few games. Right. <laughs> Otherwise, you, people are just like, huh? You well, want to take people with this you. This is worse than it was before. I don't yeah. like this. And um, it's just, I mean. It's funny when you say that. I often think, like, in many ways, the worst thing about football is the fans. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and I know that's oh, no. not what you're supposed to say. <laughs> you're supposed to say, as everyone says, the because be- also it's the best thing. And that's true, right? It, it, only, it only exists because of its purpose is only to serve. I appreciate all of that, but when you when you look at it from the perspective that we do on a day to day basis, it does seem that large groups of people make rash decisions together that maybe don't deserve to be considered. But I think also <laughs> it's like the the players will then like it's their their employer and a new manager comes in, so they'll be thinking, well, we'll see what this guy is about. Imagine like imagine you died, right? Yeah. And then and we broke all your day. bones, and then uh, I <laughs> before or after that, like during this podcast, I'm going to break all your bones right now. Before right? I die, yeah. Oh Christ! Is <laughs> that why he dies? <laughs> yeah. Is that why? Well, I've just had a weird couple of weeks, right? Yeah. So then, so then, right? So you're a boneless, and you can't run <laughs> T4 anymore. So then I'll be like, oh, I'll just so JJ steps up. Here I come, right? Wait, I haven't got. Hang on, I haven't got any. You're bones. not here anymore. You're gone. I'm dead. You're gone. You're in the shadow so realm. So you've killed yeah. Joe so you can run Tifo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's probably not the best form. No, no, to not so this. I can do it. But it's just like, right? Yeah. So then I step up and say, everyone's then looking to me for leadership. Yeah. And then if I make a couple of stupid errors, which is likely. Yeah, it's very likely. Right. <laughs> Then uh, they'd be like, oh, I don't know, this guy should be the one in charge, even yeah. though everything else to do is actually really smart. Well, exactly. And, and in that situation, heightened situation, the crowd of people around, because they would gather together, yeah. and they'd start to... They'd, they'd, they'd be they'd, quite murmuring. reasonable points. They'd be like, well, he's a friend of ours, and we should give him some time. And then you'd hear a voice from the back, let's, get, let's stab him in the heart. And someone goes, <laughs> oh, it's, 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 everyone's voice is welcome here. Yeah. But, and anyway, my point is more just that um, if uh, 30,000 people think something emotionally is that well I think we talked about this in the podcast um, before I just I think it's important in like Chelsea there's a certain thing you associate with certain clubs and Chelsea are with superstars with all money and like the the yeah. drama comes along with it and Tuchel I think probably some of the stuff he did like you think of him on the touchline he was like Tasmanian devil a lot just spinning around and sending people flying into the air yeah right. That's what just, he, just like Taz that's what he did like Taz yeah and uh, that's another good reference for the kids and so um, <laughs> uh, so that's there's something about that right? And the, and the fans often want to see themselves in the manager on the sidelines because they want to be in charge and see what's all going on and Chukul was this crazy dramatic uh, kind of 
figure on the touchline that would overact things and make it look nuts. I think a lot of it's probably performative on purpose yeah. because it helps deal with the psychology of how you manage this group of superstars. So they see that this guy looks mad, but he's not. He's totally in control of everything he's doing, but it seems mad and you've got to listen to this guy because, oh my God, we've won games and this guy knows what he's talking about. And even though he's asking us to do crazy, like in, uh, loads and loads of work and training or these things I don't really understand, I'll go with it. Yeah. Whereas Potter seems very reserved, methodical and... Um, Almost like he's been given a good chance to go up to Chelsea, and it's a little bit different. Mm. He's not brought in this superstar rolling a Ferrari and say, "Let's roll, boys!" Like yeah. he's walked in, going, "Oh, it's nice to meet you." Yeah, he's not smoking a cigar. Exactly. Yeah. Holding a grenade. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, like, and I think that's probably relevant because I don't, I mean, the, the players will all know who he is and respect him as a professional because that's what they'll do. Yeah. But there'll be a certain, a certain difference of profile that he has to Tuchel. Now, it's not to say that they don't have the same ability of being coaches, but mm. a lot of what a manager is is the psychology of it. And whereas Potter has studied psychology, I think he's human behaviour is one of the things he's graduated with. His master's he did a master's and focused on yeah. that, yeah. So like, he'll know how to do that, but then that's all very well, learning the theory, but applying it to these super millionaires, like to get to the level that those Chelsea players are at, you've got to be... Mm. you've got to have a certain kind of mind and that's very hard to control even if you know how to and I think Tuchel just had that natural aura about him it was maybe it was a thing yeah. and we're seeing it with Chelsea now is like how do you rev up players to get going if you're still tweaking things the same like we're talking about Southampton it's, it's hard to get that going really. I think so much does come down to results though right if, if Thomas yeah. Tuchel hadn't won that Champions League final I don't think he'd have lasted as long as he did because that trajectory that we're still seeing Chelsea on right now is was happening Certainly the beginning of this season, right? There was always that sense of, oh, Thomas Tuchel came in, he made Chelsea defensively sound, and he was going to make them better going forward. And it just, it never really happened. That I thought much, it right? seems well when Tuchel was there, because uh, um, he looked back at him a bit with, it's almost romantic to look back on what he did, because he won Champions League, and so you think it was amazing. But I remember thinking early on, like, the players will get so tired of this constant... Uh, energy and that sort of thing. That's I can't see how that would last longer than a year and a half. Two at the so most, much of it does come down to results, though, and I think that that's why you're correct, Joe. And it's interesting with the Chelsea fans because it's not only that like fans expect results; it's that Chelsea fans have, for, since 2003, when Roman Abramovich came in, have been conditioned to think in a certain way about what like successful performance from a team looks yeah. like right and that is oh well we can solve problems through bringing in elite managers on really sh eventually short contracts because they you know they they bring in a manager to manage all of these really expensive assets that they have and if it doesn't work then they just bring someone else in mm. um, and now they've just flipped a switch they've got new owners in and those owners have said we're going to try and do things sustainably and it, we're going to hire a process coach yeah and it seems to me that a lot of the Chelsea fans are just simply cannot have the patience for that sort of approach to work sure. and so they're in this situation as or, a club or perhaps they, they can have the patience they're just not used to it yeah yeah perhaps a lot of what I see on Twitter is is people being like this isn't we're not seeing any changes right now so therefore the whole process is Sure. Is, is valid. We should at least be seeing some change now. And the patience as well, that, that surely runs out really quickly when you get to the point, like, if you, be patient with it if you're going to probably finish around fourth. But when you start to really drop out and then you're worried that you're a Champions League place and the money that brings and the prestige... Ten points away from fourth right It's now. only ten points, right? So they can... It's a, still more yeah. than half a season to go. There's an extra yeah. game. I mean, not, they've not had a window under under Potter despite the fact that it did seem as though some of the players they brought in in the summer were because they wanted to bring Potter in right but well we should contextualise this conversation as well uh, we can talk more about Potter if we want to but we should talk about Chelsea's injury list right now because N'Golo Kante Rhys James Wesley Fofana Ben Chilwell Armando Broya uh, Ruben Loftus-Cheek Raheem Sterling Christian Pulisic 
Edouard Mendy and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang are all injured right now, yeah. which is a lot of players and a lot of first-team players there, which is one of the reasons why in the two games against Manchester City recently, we've seen Graham Potter experiment with some of Chelsea, Chelsea's youth players. Speaking of a kind of identity and clash of identity with what the new ownership and Graham Potter are doing now versus what came before, it's a sort of odd experience, quite novel, to even watch a Chelsea team, particularly in a big game, playing youth players or playing players whose names I don't know. Yeah, and... Again, you're in this sort of weird zone where Chelsea have brought in... They've got a horribly clunky squad. They've got a lot of players who are sort of throwbacks to that era where they would just spend money and, and sort of hope it... To it the clunk era. Yeah, I think so. Mm. I mean, even some of the transfers that they brought in in the summer, like Raheem Sterling, I think has just been one of the worst you know, badly conceived transfers of, of the summer window for an elite side, really. Because there's just not that 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 joined up up thinking. So you're in a situation where you you come into a, squ- a squad which is sort of, sort of has all of these vestigial remainders of like times past when they were just bringing in players and and hoping managers would sort out the problems as they went. And then they're in this this situation now where they want this process manager to have an immediate impact. Yeah. And and turn things around. And I like on the one hand I have sympathy for Chelsea fans because the big gamble here is using a process coach. At that kind of club, right? Yeah. We, I have no doubt that if you put Graham Potter in almost any club in the Premier League and gave him three seasons, that club would be in a better situation after three seasons than when he arrived. But it's you can't just do that with elite sides necessarily. Like it, no. it's, it's never quite so simple as that because there is that, I think, a more greater need for immediate There's the, impact, the requirement so. to finish minimum fourth. Um, so, yeah, for me, this is all down to like how how much... How how brave is is Todd Bowley going to be? Right, it's quite interesting though, isn't it? When when you th- when you put it that way, because what elite clubs in the Premier League do is they maintain a wage bill and a payment structure that requires them to finish in the top four. Yeah. And if they don't for a couple of seasons, it, ha- it starts to have a really negative impact. Yeah. But that kind of prevents them from ever really having these massive reshuffles and resets. Like the requirement for a new manager for a top four team is just completely different to any other this team. This is what Man United are trying to do right now, right? Yeah. They've, they've, they've tried to restructure their wage bill and they were trying to persuade David De Gea to take like 150,000 a week wage reduction to, yeah. to fit into this payment structure but yeah it's really it's really tough to I think manage a process system when you are coming out of a, a system where they were whatever it was was it a million every week or so that they were just writing off as losses at Chelsea it was a lot of money it was a it was, lot of money I can't remember was being how much written off every week and yeah, yeah it's going to be it's going to be tough to, to move from from those things as well the other thing that yeah. I find fascinating about this is that Graham Potter was really good when he came in in terms of results right um, so they, they yeah. had the they had the draw against RB Salzburg which was his opening game yes. then they beat Crystal Palace 2-1 they beat AC Milan 3-0 they beat Wolves 3-0 they beat AC Milan 2-0 they beat Aston Villa 2-0 then they had a couple of draws one against Brentford one against Manchester United they beat Salzburg the first loss under Graham Potter was a, a, that loss against Brighton and it, it yeah. felt like immediately at that point they were like "This is the fans were like this isn't good enough That's well so also true. I mean this is kind of around the point where the injury crisis begins hmm. I mean is it possible that we're having a huge conversation when actually that bit in the middle where they've got like 11 significant players injured is, is actually the main thing. And I think, I think it is important. I just think that I've, owners of elite clubs are under so much pressure that you can, you can move a manager on after like... A, a, I mean, it's obviously been a poor run since then, but it feels like it was, it was very, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, it was just a steep drop-off at that, yeah, at yeah. that point. Well, there we go. Do you know what else is a steep drop-off, John? People's belief that Manchester City are better 
with Erling Haaland. <laughs> Let's talk about this. Of course, there was some interesting conversation about this over the weekend and, and last week. Uh, here's a, tr- a tweet from Ollie Was Right. I don't know who this is. Ollie Was Right. Do you know who this is, John? No, I do. No, anyway, it's a tweet. Ollie Was Not Right. Ollie, Ollie Was Right. It was a, a tweet with some interesting in- engagement. Uh, Haaland is the best striker in the league, but City are better without him. Today, they reverted to their normal levels of composure and chance creation for multiple players. When Haaland plays, they just try to feed him while ignoring other options. Now, I'd love it if someone would just feed me. That's all I'm thinking. <laughs> can, someone, can someone feed me? Uh, can you explain to me why? Um, I just think it's. I just don't think it's true. I want to look a lot into it. Uh, look at what different numbers will show. Whether there's a different share of goals or chances for other players. But mm. like part of the problem they had before is that the the, the four four two kind of shape that Guardiola worked on is a four two four. It's it's actually a three two five. Like it's always just changes whatever. But um, it it had no single striker. So the system worked because they had no actual striker there. They pressed really well. They used Gabriel Jesus sometimes off of the left as a pressing forward, sometimes the right as well. Uh, and then you'd play Erling Ho- uh, you play Kevin De Bruyne through the middle with someone like Foden, and all players rotate positions. It's very confusing to play against. The structure looks out of possession like a four-four-two, but it does loads of different things in possession. And they would create those same sort of chances where you try and get the ball to wide areas, and you put them across the box into the penalty area, and that's where you score from the penalty area. Mm. But against big teams, they could, or against teams who are really good at defending, and just to have a load of I don't know momentum behind them. They can block them down. They can stop them creating those chances. They know what they're trying to do, so they can kind of stop it. And then people were saying, well, they need a big striker because that's the difference. If you give a penalty box poacher, you'll get someone who can score the goals that then get you to the next level. And I think we saw it in the Champions League a lot in different seasons where if they just had a player like Holland in the past, just trying to feed him, they probably would have won these games, putting the counter and stuff like that, rather than having to try and intricately pass their way through the entire pitch to get up to the pitch to then create a chance that someone's not there to score. But you saw, like, against uh, Chelsea in the FA Cup, they won 4-0, sure enough. There was a chance early on where I think uh, Cole Palmer, who's I think playing on the left side, uh, was he? Or maybe the right? He was on the left side anyway, but he, he shot the ball into the near post side netting, and he had Foden just waiting for a tap-in, uh, that if he'd played the pass to Foden, Foden was probably in the position that Holland would have been in, and it would be the same sort of goal. It's just that Holland's always in that right position. And I, I wanted to know whether they've scored more goals this season than they had last or uh, there'll be something that we can look into eventually and try mm. and find out what it is I'll do it in a video IRL or something like that mm-hmm. um, or maybe John will and then we can figure out uh, what the difference is but like they're they, they're not worse with Holland in the team I don't think no. they, they just have a different threat but they can play differently with them in there I don't think they can play the same exactly the same way with him in but that's the whole point of different footballers they do different things on the pitch so yeah if you look at the underlying numbers Manchester City are putting up better numbers this season they have a player who's going to absolutely smash the Premier League goal-scoring record if he stays fit. I don't think you can say off the back of that that Manchester City are worse with, with Haaland in the team. I, I think that's just a, a, a nuts argument to make. But the level of football that we've reached now, there's such fine margins that the difference between Arsenal and... I mean, Man City are a better side than Arsenal. I'm happy to say that. I don't think anyone but Arsenal fans are going to get particularly mad uh, uh, oh, maybe. there's enough of them. I'm sure, yeah, there are a lot of them. Yeah. Um, you breaking they, the podcast, start down again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I won't be on next week. Manchester City are, are, are a very good side, but very good sides can dominate games and, and not, not win. Manchester City yeah. drew with Everton. Everton had one shot from distance 
in the whole game. Man United, Manchester City put up about pushing three, if not more than three xG. Yeah, and they ended Which up drawing that. Yeah, they they ended up drawing that game. And you think they've just been a bit unlucky across the course of the season? Yeah, if you compare the results of Arsenal and and Manchester City, I would say the differences between them are that that Arsenal have had the runs of luck when they've when they've needed them, and, and Manchester City haven't. Ah, the runs of luck. I get those often after I have uh, the, <laughs> the curry of despair. <laughs> Is that, um, cool? is that okay? I don't want it, but you've done it now. <laughs> Go on, carry so, on. So, yeah, we're, we're at that sort of level where, you know, the, the very finest margins are determining who's, who's getting the, the results. The, I think the, the interesting question is, like, how do City play differently when they have Holland and when they don't? And mm. I think there is an argument to be made. And again, I have, this has just got, I've not looked at anything on this, but I think there's an argument to be made that you, before Holland arrived at Manchester City, Pep Guardiola is almost the most defensive manager in the Premier League because he's all about control, right? He would rather maintain possession in the final third. Yes, he wants to generate goal-scoring chances, but if that goal-scoring chance doesn't match up to them keeping the ball and they end up turning the ball over and, and being counted on, he's not he's not going to want to do that. A shoe. Yeah, whereas I think when you have just the goated finisher ever in, in Holland in the box... You can be a little bit less risk averse. Are you saying he's the greatest of all time ever? Yes. Wow, that is in terms of in terms incredible. of finishing. If you look at if you look at his numbers, yeah, of all time and ever, yeah, both. It's just incredible. Isn't yeah, it? I've it's covered. Amazing. I've really covered all of the options. So. You have. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway, get, getting back to my serious point that mm, I was making. Mm. Um, when you have a player of that sort of ability in the box probably better to be a little bit less risk averse and just try and find him because yeah he's going to score probably going to score different options the other thing as well is that people like in that tweet maybe this guy's right as well with the idea that they're just trying to feed him the whole time but it's the first season he's spent with them and they'll yeah. have been looking like you know when you're trying to hammer something into someone you do it again and again and again and again. you do it in the yeah. games as well keep trying to feed Holland I mean, if, if my teammate give him meat feed the goat my teammate was score. eating so much that he was on route to like absolutely obliterate the Premier League's like one season goal scoring record I'd I'd keep feeding him as much as possible right it just happens right and that would he's, happen. always, he's scoring goals he's in the right position and he finishes really well so that's why his numbers are massive it's not because they're only trying to score that only one kind of goal sure it's just that he's then scoring goals which means they can change the way they play after it yeah they're also the, the most flexible team ever like they played Chelsea in, in the last two games in the first game, they, they Guardiola got things wrong, expected them to come out with a back five and had this weird system where he had, rather than an inverting fullback, he was sort of pushing Rodri between a centre-back position yeah. and a centre-midfield position. That didn't work, so they switched it at half-time, mm. went to a more classic sort of inverting fullback system where the right-back was inverting inside. The next game, they came out with a left-back who inverted, didn't like that, and so went to a classic sort of back four, <laughs> flat four. So they went 4-2-4. Four, four. Like, that's all in the space of 180 yeah. minutes. So I, I find it funny when people are like, oh, you know, City are worse with, with Haaland as though it's just one size fits all with City. It's like yeah. either they're playing with City or he's not. Last night, was it last night? They played without Gundogan, for example. They played Foden in in a more central position. They had Cole Palmer on the left. They had Sergi Gomez, is that his name? Yeah. Um, Sergio Gomez Yeah. Uh, as, a, as, a, as a left back, and they haven't played him much. The whole setup was completely different. So yeah. you can argue that City look better in a 4-2-4 structure if you want, but they use so many different structures all the time. They use so many different personnel in each of those structures that you know it's not quite so simple as being like, what are the games where Haaland didn't play versus the ones where he did play? There's, there's a lot more going on than just... Yeah. That. Take that, Twitter, you people. 
pieces of shit. <laughs> Ollie was wrong. There's one more interesting bit in Man City and Guardiola was asked um, how come Foden doesn't start every single game or something like that. Not that exact How question. come Foden doesn't start every single game? Right, and all like all the players that like, matters. So he talked about how, and this is another thing you think about, like Guardiola it says like some games you focus on the tactics, some games it doesn't matter at all. I think it's interesting because yeah. it doesn't. It, it's about how your players are ready to play, who's ready to do different things in different situations, who's feeling happy that week, yeah. who's had a good week in training, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. He's got a manager, uh, a locker room, he called it, a squad basically, of all these amazing players who could start for any team in the world almost and give them all enough games, keep them fresh, keep them like rotated so they're ready to come in, but also hungry to play yeah. and play them in their right form. And feed them. <laughs> yes, I know you want them to be hungry and to be fed, yes. <laughs> So then you've got Mares comes in. So at the start of the season, Guardiola said that Mares um, didn't look to be his best. Like he, he wasn't loving football as much as he should have done. Didn't have that desire and wasn't in his best physical shape. Now you see like Mares has basically won that. That, that, that game they won four 0 on the weekend. I mean the first goal was free kick. It was unbelievable. It was amazing. That mm-hmm. the way the, the technique for that is unbelievable. But Mares can do that. He's a brilliant. Probably the best. I think he's one of the best forwards you'll get in Europe just now but you don't think it because he doesn't play every single game like he yeah. started loads of games on the bench last season even Yeah, yeah. we still got loads of numbers and so you play Foden 22-3 games a season you, you're much less than the risk that he gets injured and is out for months and doesn't sure. continue his development and I think confidence and momentum are two of the most important things for players you see like Jaden Sancho now was riding up at Borussia Dortmund really good goes to Man United and just has that bit of a fall and now they've sent him on training camps to try and get him to get his confidence back and just be more of the person he was. But it's very hard to find that back again. So where no. does he go to get that to a lower level? So that's your career stagnating and not going the way you wanted to? Well, indeed. I mean, it's an exercise in harmony, really, isn't it? There we go. Fascinating stuff. Now, Steve Hankey did remove this from the plan uh, due to timing <laughs> issues, but I'm going to mention it anyway because I think it's interesting. Roberto Martinez, John, sort of falling up to to Portugal there. He's the, been announced as the new Portugal manager, leading the Belgium job after quite some time. Yeah, this is an interesting one, isn't it? Because he he hardly impressed at the Belgium. But I wonder whether or not we've now got to a point where most coaches, professional coaches, want to be in the domestic game. So yeah. um, the the dynamic has changed between the the club job, uh, the country jobs being the really sought after, yeah. um, em, em, employable options to a lot of coaches wanting to be working full time, not just having these sort of patchy schedules for for their job. And also, I think that that's where people now they're going to make their name for themselves in their career at the domestic level so maybe it's harder to employ people as yeah uh, international coaches and and that's why do you think it's a bit like um being a kind of you know foreign dignitary or diplomat to a country that has a very ordinary and secure relationship with your home country and where your job is kind of just to attend events and stuff there's not really much going on whereas some of your friends might want to be at the coal face of politics yeah. you know but you're pretty happy just sort of going to wine tea parties yeah yeah i think there's probably something in that as well and i guess with martinez he's he's spanish right so he'll yeah. be able to communicate probably with the portuguese players to a degree he's um, also uh, is it fair to say an improvement on prior coach yeah, tomato, tomato. I don't yeah. Know. Of tomato. course, in Spanish they say tomato, and in Portuguese <laughs> they say tomato. tomato. Let's call the whole thing off. Let's, well, indeed, why don't we do that? Now, listen, that is the end, I think, of uh, today's TIFO football podcast. What a joy it's been, a return for the new year. JJ Bull, thanking you. Yes. And, of course, thanks to John McKenzie. We look forward to welcoming back uh, Herr Stafford Bloor after his mm. uh, break next week. 
I think he's back next week. Can't You've broken remember. him as well, have you? Have I broken him? Yeah, yeah that's correct. I have, yes. And he's in the hospital. But uh, he'll be returning all patched up and wrapped Stronger. up in the... To be clear, Seb is not in the hospital. Just... No, he might be. We don't know. He's not. We just don't know. Anyway, see you later. Uh, <laughs> back next week with more. Ta-ra!
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.